0: Judgment the Michelle Obama podcast is out now on Spotify. This series brings listeners inside the former first lady's most candid and personal conversations, showing us what's possible when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to open up and focus on what matters most. Joining the former first lady is an array of special guests, including Marion and Craig Robinson, Conan O'Brien, Valerie Jarrett, Michelle Norris and Dr. Sharon Malone episodes focus on relationships that shape us from siblings and close friends to partners, parents, and mentors, to our relationship with ourselves and our health. Listen free at Spotify.com slash Michelle Obama. Okay, so when I was younger, I used to cut my brother's hair. Because I could work a tight fade, but you had to have patience. Looking good takes time. And one day, my brother decided he didn't have any patience. none. How on, he had somewhere he was supposed to be? Camille said she was going to stop by Larry's place. Man, Camille ain't stepping foot in that dump. She might catch a tetanus. Hurry up! Shut up. If I jack up your head, you're going to be mad, so just relax. Hurry up. You're lucky I don't cut your ears off for you. Slowly and methodically, I try to make it even on both sides. Give me them clippers. I said, shut up. He snatches the clippers out of my hand, runs it through the middle of his scalp. The clipper guard snaps off. He shaves a furrow right through the middle of his hair. My laughter is pure, clean, free. I can't breathe. It's a disaster, a haircutting horror show, and it's not even my fault. I warned him twice, and things unfold as they might in a storybook. But my brother cries real tears as the rest of us laugh. It is magic, Snappers. Amazing. And so today, on Snap Judgment, we proudly present The Cut. Incredible stories from the razor's edge. My name is Glenn Washington. Please know for a small fee, I would gladly cut your hair as well because you're listening. Just snap judgment. Okay, so sure, we started with a bad hair day, but up next. Is a haircut story that actually ends with a nine one one call.
1: Nine one one, what is your emergency? Uh, see. I'd like to ask the home to sir about it. What's wrong out there? Huh? What's the problem there? Uh, some guy attacks his grandpa and gives him a bad haircut. What happened?
0: But to figure out how we got here, you have to start with a young man named Johnny Mast. He was small. Insular Farming Town in Northern Ohio. And Johnny had a thing for good hair.
2: My hair had to be like almost perfect. I'd have a comb and I'd comb it and comb it. If I found a couple of hair too long, I'd have the scissor there and snip a little here and snip a little there. And It didn't always turn out the way it was supposed to, but I did what I could
3: did what he could, because Johnny was only ever allowed to have one hairstyle, a bowl cut.
2: Basically, you let your hair grow out, and then you just, like, uh, cut a straight line around your head, and that's about it.
3: Johnny's hair is rusty orange and thick. In a bowl cut, it poofed out above his ears. It almost looked like a fur hat.
2: I, I, want, I wanted something more, and I always, I always wanted a haircut with a clipper style haircuts, you know, shingled.
3: But the bowl style was his only option. All the guys in town had the same cut. They wore the same hand-sewn jeans, the same suspenders, the same blue cotton button-down shirts.
2: The men in the community, once they get married, they then grow a full beard minus a mustache. I guess you'd call it like a chin-strap beard. Even if, uh, let's say, one side grows longer than the other, they're not allowed to trim it to make it even.
3: The hair, beard, suspenders are part of a dress code in Burkholes. Burkholes is a tiny little community. It's Amish, but not really Amish. 25 years ago, a man named Sam Mullet broke off from his nearby Amish church and drove his horse and buggy north, deep into the hilly Ohio woods. He bought 800 acres of land there and put himself in charge.
2: He's like some... Uh how would you say Like a small town somewhere that has had their sheriff for 50 years, and basically whatever the sheriff says is going to fly. He's just he's just kind of like the whole justice all-in-one package. Whatever he says, it's it doesn't really go to a grand jury or anything like that. It's just Sam said it, so let's go. The man's six foot four and probably weighs 280 pounds. You know, he, he's just he's he's a big built dude. And if he gets frustrated about something, he wants to try to get his point across, he'll just stand there and with his straight-ahead, confident way of talking and kind of stares you down and tells you what the what is. I mean, you're just, okay, yes, sir.
3: But Sam is also Johnny's grandpa. And back when he was young, he was so obsessed with pleasing Sam that he didn't even see this thing he's talking about, that Sam was really the dictator of a tiny village.
2: I just always felt like I wanted to be, grow up to be like Sam, you know, I wanted to please him in some way, shape, or form. It was an approval trap,
3: and it would become really, really dangerous for the whole town, especially Johnny. And the thing is, Johnny did have his grandpa's approval. He was a really good kid. His big acting out was sneaking out to the town payphone, where he and his friends called a number that played music and then huddled around the receiver to listen. His daily life was all about helping out. Farming corn or wheat or oats with his uncles. Johnny's favorite task was tending to the horses.
2: Letting them eat their grain and their hay in the morning, getting the uh, horses all harnessed up and hook them up to a plow.
3: When Johnny was a kid, he had his own pony. He remembers staying out in the barn all day, trimming the hairs around its feet.
2: If there was one hair too long and I happened to see it a day later, I'd be there working on getting that hair down, and then maybe next thing I know, I'd spent two hours giving my horse a haircut. It was just, I was just real picky about stuff like that. It had to be perfect or it wasn't good enough.
3: School only goes up to the eighth grade in Bergholz, and Johnny started working odd jobs after that. He groomed horses in his free time. His life was simple and predictable. But one winter evening, when Johnny was 17, his mom called him in from the barn. She had come back from this women's meeting at Sam's house.
2: Normally, they just get together to help Grandma work on whatever, and then the one day she came home and had the news that we all had to write our sins on a paper, so.
3: At the meeting, Sam started off by announcing that there were bad things going on in bergholz Disagreement, divorces, death. Then he explained that those bad things were happening because the people of Bergholz were sinners. And then Sam explained that he, as a bishop, could forgive people. But only if everyone wrote down all their sins. So he called for this sort of mass confessional.
2: I was very, very freaked out about it at first. Like, I was like, you know, this is super weird. Kind of had a deadline. We had about a week.
3: Johnny's mom brought out notepads for everyone. And Johnny went to his bedroom. He spent hours scribbling every sin he could think of. From the tiniest incident of cheating in math class to the more serious stuff.
2: Things that uh, I'm not comfortable to discuss, but... uh, So,
3: Johnny's family submitted their list of sins, and then waited. They heard nothing about the list. For weeks. And then, suddenly, it was Christmas. Johnny looked forward to Christmas Day all year. A big dinner with all his cousins at Sam's house. Fresh ham, mashed potatoes, homemade bread, turkey hunting with all the guys in the afternoon.
2: So we went out to the barn, you know, brushed a horse, put a harness on him, hooked him up to the buggy, got some thick blankets in the buggy, trying to stay warm.
3: Johnny and his family rode their buggy through slick, hilly, snowy terrain for hours. And
2: we walked in and smelled the ham and the mashed potatoes and everything just smelled great.
3: They were just sitting down to dinner. And that's when Sam decided to bring up those lists of sins. He wasn't happy.
2: None of you were truthful with what you wrote down on your letters. My mom just stood there, and she basically just looked like somebody punched her in the face. And my, my dad just stood there and looked at Sam a little bit, and he's like, I don't know what more you want me to write.
3: Sam wouldn't let it go. He ordered the family to leave the house right then and there. There would be no Christmas festivities this year. Stunned, Johnny and the rest of his family started putting back on their gloves and coats. They turned for the door.
2: John can stay, but the rest of them are all going to have to go because none of of them told the truth.
3: This was the moment that Sam chose Johnny.
2: Then I was like, really, you know... Kind of flustered, didn't know what to do. I didn't know, should I stay? Should I leave? I had to basically kick my family out, and you know, not not stand up and you know agree with them.
3: Johnny decided to stay, not just for Christmas night. Johnny moved in with Sam for good. He slept in his own room upstairs, and it's not just that he moved in with Sam; he allied himself with Sam he started to enforce Sam's rules, like if he heard someone was late to cut Sam's hay or saw someone smoking a cigarette, he'd report back to Sam. Or if Sam said one of the guys in town was sinning, then Johnny got his buddies to bully that guy into admitting his sins, real or not.
2: I was doing good and I finally started to feel that moment of kind of having Sam's good graces, you know, kind of getting on his good side. He had me to the point where I was scared of the fact that if I wouldn't listen, do what he says, I would basically be signing a one-way ticket to hell.
3: There were a lot of people in Berkholes who were scared of Sam. He would single people out, like this one guy, a vegetable farmer named Levi Miller. When Levi Miller wrote up his list of sins for Sam's approval, Sam said he was lying, and decided to make an example out of him.
2: Sam basically told him, you know, hey, you know, this is, you're going to have to sit in the chicken coop for X amount of days or whatever until you write everything down.
3: Sam sent Levi to live in a chicken coop. So Levi just walked himself into a chicken coop. Yep. Are there chickens in the coop? There's
2: probably 45 or 50 chickens in there.
3: Like live chickens? Yep. Oh my God. Sam told Levi he had to stay in the chicken coop until he came clean with his sins. real sins. To be clear, this demand was entirely impossible to meet. Two or three weeks went by.
2: And it got to the point where he was so hungry that whenever the little kids or somebody would bring out scraps for the chicken, like table scraps being, you know, lettuce, uh, the bad part of a tomato. For
3: the chickens. For the chickens. They were feeding the chickens.
2: Yep. And it got to the point where he was hungry enough to where he was picking through that leftover stuff imagine what that looked like it's got a terrible smell to it so basically made him live like an animal
3: and is he locked is there like a chain around the chicken coop
2: it's literally a bungee cord holding that door shut all he has to do is push that door and he can walk out why doesn't he walk out
3: and what did it feel like for you to sort of like passively watch all this going down
2: i didn't like it i didn't think it was right But at that time, I didn't really, my feelings were kind of dead in a way.
3: Inside the coop, Levi kept writing down his sins over and over again. But his list never satisfied Sam. And then, one evening after putting up the horses, Johnny and some of his cousins headed to Sam's house. They sat around a table. Talking about Levi.
2: And finally, Sam was like, cut this guy's hair and his beard off. I bet that'll make him talk. He's like, bring it down to my house and I'll hang it up on a wall like a turkey beard.
3: Cutting off an Amish man's beard is like ripping off a woman's clothes and making her walk around naked for months. But Sam had built up a sort of gang of loyal young men who wanted more than anything to please him. Johnny watched them walk out the door.
2: About 8.30 Saturday night, Levi's son-in-law walks into Sam's house and he had a garbage bag and said, well, here's your hair and your beard that you want it. I didn't really know what to think as far as, you know, was this pushing it over the line, you know, was this... I didn't really have an opinion on that, if that makes sense. And Sam even said it, you know, this is crazy, but... He just—he just felt like it would give Levi a new beginning.
3: Sam didn't hang the hair on his wall. Instead, he asked Johnny to check in on Levi in the chicken coop to make sure he wasn't lonely.
2: Sam had this thing where he—he'd he'd slam somebody so bad, and then he pull him back try to make him feel good. So he said, you know, you guys go visit him. You know, he'd probably like that. So we went up there to see him, and he was glad to see us. But when I walked in and seen him, I would have hardly known that man.
3: Levi hadn't trimmed his sideburns in over 20 years. His beard had been more than 10 inches from his chin.
2: His hair was completely gone. I mean, there was just... And it wasn't a nice, smooth haircut. It was just, like, chopped off. There was some long strands hanging down beside his ears still, and it was just a mess. His beard was cut off straight. He actually, he looked scary.
3: Johnny says the haircut was so ugly, it looked like it hurt.
2: Yeah, after I seen him with his bad haircut, I said, we got to do something. He looks terrible. And then Sam was like, well, yeah, you can, you know, you can give him a haircut if you want, you know, make him look better. And the guy hadn't had a shower in like a month.
3: So Johnny got Levi from the chicken coop, walked him into Sam's house, and propped him up on a wooden stool in the kitchen. He smelled like rotting garbage. Johnny ran his fingers through thick patches of scruff on Levi's head and dirty long strands of hair hanging from the sides of his face and snipped away.
2: It looked decent. It just wasn't quite, it just wasn't quite to my satisfaction. So I kept, you know, thinking like, you know, a clipper would be real nice, it'd be real easy.
3: What Johnny really needed to fix Levi's face, what he had always wanted, electric clippers, which weren't a thing in burgholes. Johnny asked Sam if he could get them. Sam just stared back at him and frowned. He didn't exactly say no, On the way home from work a few weeks later, Johnny put all his savings in the pockets of his hand-sewn jeans and walked into Walmart with his bowl cut and suspenders to buy a pair of clippers.
0: Stay with us, Snappers. When our story continues, find out what happens when a rural farm boy attempts to use an electric shaver. The stunning conclusion... In just a moment, stay
1: tuned.
0: Pants with a belt, collared shirts, Oxfords. I haven't put on a suit jacket since the pandemic started. In this new world, we have new priorities. And Albert said something that might help with that. Because feeling good goes beyond Allbirds' amazing footwear. Introducing the all-new Trino underwear from Allbirds. Whether it's a woman's bralette, brief, shorty, or thong, or the men's boxer briefs. With Allbirds Trino underwear, you can get intimate with nature with intimates made with nature. Your private parts and the planet will love Allbirds Trino underwear. Find your pair at Allbirds.com. Snap Judgment is supported by Rocket Mortgage. When I'm looking for a new home, I imagine myself in every space. Do I want to relax in that yard? Can I use that shower every day? I want to know the house fits me. Rocket Mortgage built a home loan experience designed for you with certainty at every step and no unwanted surprises. You can relax knowing you're getting a home loan that fits your life. Visit rocketmortgage.com snap because when you need a mortgage that fits your life, Rocket can call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states in mlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030 welcome back to snap judgment the cut episode when last we left johnny he was trying to fix a haircut that looked so bad it looked so bad it hurt snap judgment
3: On the way home from work a few weeks later, Johnny put all his savings in the pockets of his hand-sewn jeans and walked into Walmart with his bowl cut and suspenders to buy a pair of clippers.
2: Just the fact of being Amish with a bowl-style haircut and standing there at Walmart looking at these clippers that are actually made for, you know, to give buzz cuts. I felt like I should be looking over my shoulder make sure nobody's looking, you know, to See what I'm doing.
3: There in the men's beauty aisle, Johnny saw a world of possibilities.
2: Yeah, I think I paid 40 bucks for it or something.
3: Did it feel powerful at all?
2: Yeah, I mean I th- I think it kind of gave me a you know, after going and buying it, taking it home and not really getting any repercussions for it, I think it kind of kind of gave me a little bit of a like a daring, like a daring attitude of, you know, kind of crowding the line a little bit. and Maybe, I guess what some people would say, coloring outside the line a little bit. It, it just, like it kind it of, kind of took the edge off of, from doing something of, you know, stepping over the line just a little bit.
3: But I'm still sort of wondering what compelled you to take that risk.
2: I just, I just couldn't, or I just totally couldn't take it anymore. I was like, wow, you know, this guy, he just looks terrible. I don't know, I think that just, I don't know, it just pushed me to the point where I was like, I have to do something, I have to make this look better, I have to fix it.
3: That night, Johnny powered up the hair clipper with a homemade battery charger. He brought Levi into Sam's kitchen, again.
2: I was was, uh, really nervous cutting his hair the first time. The
3: only haircut he'd ever seen was a bowl cut.
2: I looked at the paper that came with the clippers, and I was looking over the paper, and I was like, okay, this is you're supposed to, you know, do it this way, and then like this. And
3: When it was done, Levi's beard was even. Johnny handed Levi a plastic mirror.
2: And then he smiled a little bit, and then he went back to work, and I went back to doing my work.
3: Deer hunting season opened the next week, And Sam invited about 10 guys over to his farm to stay for a while and work the land. One of those guys was Johnny's dad. Johnny and his dad hadn't really been talking for the past year, since Johnny moved in with Sam. But they were cordial with each other. Everyone was just excited to be together and go hunting, drama-free.
2: Everybody, you know, walked along the table cafeteria-style and got their hot meal and sat down and ate. You could tell they all felt good. They felt relaxed. They were sitting back, you know, just starting to relax.
3: When Sam's daughter came into the room to clear the plates, she was holding scissors. She looked out over the table of men and said, All of you are sinners.
2: And she just went along the line, and everybody's hair and beard just kind of sort of got chopped off right then and there, and you should have seen the look on those poor guys' face. They looked like a, they looked like a beaten puppy is what they looked like. I mean they just just looked like somebody just really you know just punched a crap out of them is what they looked like. Some of these guys had long, thick beards, big bushy hair. I mean there was hair everywhere on the sofa, on these guys' clothes, on the floor. I've never in my lifetime seen that many hair.
3: And then Sam's daughter, Johnny's aunt, walked over to him.
2: Then Sam was like, well, Johnny, you might as well go cut some of your dad's hair too. And that's when my heart kind of hit my toes.
3: Sam asked Johnny to cut his own father's hair, the worst imaginable thing a son could do to his father. This was Johnny's big test.
2: I was still like in a daze Standing up, walking across the room, and every footstep across the room sounded like thunder. And I finally got over to where my dad was sitting, and uh, and I just I just stood there and looked. My dad kind of looked up at me, and I just kind of looked the other way and took the scissors and took a hold of a strand of hair and just just remember the sound of the scissors going through that hair like it was yesterday. And so I took I took one one snip of hair off of his head, and it was a terrible feeling. Terrible.
3: Johnny's dad and the other guests went to sleep in the barn that night. They slept in the cold on piles of hay. The next morning, Johnny went to see his dad in the barn.
2: His hat was too big, sitting down almost in his eyes. His ears were pushed out the side of his hat, looking all cold, and his beard was just chopped off straight across the bottom. His face looked white. He looked like a scary, scary beast. So
3: Johnny did his thing. He brought his dad into Sam's kitchen.
2: I asked him, you know, kind of like, well, what kind of haircut you want? You want real short or you want your beard, like, completely gone or you want to leave it, you know, like a little bit of... Ever since you know, Johnny, Johnny moved out,
3: out he and his dad spoke like strangers on the street. And now... They were face-to-face. Yeah, and
2: walking, and he didn't say much, so I got the clipper, and I started clipping, you know. And took the longest guy I could, you know, try to leave as much hair as I could. Ended up having to do almost a buzz cut. I-, I would say I probably took a little bit more time and was a little bit more particular about, you know, every little detail on his haircut, more so than normal, just because, you know, it, it felt to me like I was fixing something that I ruined
3: But Sam kept ordering more and more haircuts. He ordered his minions to cut off women's hair and other beards of men who had sinned. And every time, Johnny would find these guys, dazed, with botched patches of hair on their faces and heads. And every time, he sat them down in Sam's kitchen and went to work.
2: I probably did four or five a week on average for a couple weeks.
3: So Johnny was Sam's henchman, but now he was also a bit of a cleanup man, fixing and trimming, smoothing and caring for all the hair and beards that Sam had hacked up.
2: After a while, I got pretty good at it. Another one of the guys would have been my uh, second cousin and he had dark hair, dark red hair, and he always had kind of a bald head and a real long, bushy beard. So I just kind of left him a nice little goatee. He kind of looked around and he's like, you just going to leave that there? Like, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there for right now. I think it looks good. You kind of look like a guy that would be riding around on a Harley Davis. And everybody kind of had to laugh then.
3: And do you think that cutting hair, that cleaning up people's haircuts, was the way that you coped with the situation? I,
2: I would say every time I got done with helping somebody clean up their haircut and, you know, making it look better. Afterwards, I always felt like I kind of had a personal connection with him and could walk up to him and talk to him about anything. It was just, it felt like I was able to, like, reach out to somebody that was hurting and help him and pull him up, you know, and make him feel better.
3: This went on for about a year. Inside the confines of the Burkholz community, everyone knew the wrath of Sam. But then, in the fall of 2011, Sam took the hostile haircut thing outside the borders of Berkhols. Johnny says Sam wanted revenge, meaning he wanted to punish other Amish communities who were accepting defectors from Sam's group. On October 4th, Johnny piled into an empty livestock trailer hooked up to a truck with 18 boys from Berkhols. They headed west.
2: It's pretty crazy what happened that night.
3: The truck pulled up to an unfamiliar house. A group of boys got out of the trailer. Johnny stayed back. Because he was Sam's right-hand man, the boys decided he shouldn't get his hands dirty.
2: And it was, sat there a couple minutes, and we heard knock on the door. Everything was quiet for a couple minutes. All of a sudden, there was a screaming. We heard women just, I mean, screaming at the top of their lungs.
3: Johnny says the boys barged into a house, pinned down an Amish man, and forcibly cut his hair. The victim fought back, causing a scene, and wrote down the license plate number of the truck.
1: 911, what is your emergency? Let's uh, see, I'd like to ask the home son to serve about it. What's wrong out there? Huh? What's the problem there? Uh, some guy attacked his grandpa and gave him a bad haircut. What happened? guy from Berkeley, Ohio stopped in, and got his grandpa out of bed and cut off his beard and uh, gave him a haircut. Did you know these people? Yes. <clears throat> Are they still there? No, they left it. How long they been gone? About 15 minutes ago. Okay. But, but we would like to show them the, the police, the evidence, so they can mm-hmm. return, go there and take them into prison. Okay. So they, they're doing this. They it is now just three different guys. Three men came there? No, there were five of them. Five. What'd they say? Well, I wasn't there at the time. I oh. They woke me up and, and shit They words. What's your name?
3: The next day, a county sheriff showed up at Sam's house and arrested four of the boys. The Holmes County Sheriff eventually turned the case over to the federal government. Suddenly, there was a federal investigation into Sam's revenge haircuts. The feds were desperately looking for one piece of evidence, and Johnny was the only one who knew where it was. So we're hiking up now into the woods. This is where you buried the camera.
2: or the woods where I buried the camera in. Yeah, this woods is long and steep. I hear a lot of acorns coming down with the wind right now. Try not to get bopped on the head with one of those.
3: When the boys went out in the van that night, they had taken pictures pictures of men forced against a wall, getting their beards chopped.
2: The guy that had the camera wanted me to destroy the camera. He said, get rid of it. You know, it's, it's evidence. that They don't want it to be found. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'll put it somewhere where nobody's ever going to find it. Uh, from where we're standing, almost straight up the hill, you can see the trail going up the hill. And I buried it there without anybody knowing it. I put it into two Ziploc baggies and... Got down on my hands and knees and dug a little hole beside the tree and buried it, covered it up, and carved an X on the tree with my knife.
3: Months into the investigation, Johnny and most of the other boys were subpoenaed. The prosecutor was looking for that camera.
2: I mean, I was confused and very, very angry.
3: Johnny had a choice. Turn in the camera or go to prison.
2: And I knew he would get convicted no matter whether I cooperated with the government attorneys or not. So I was like, it's damned if I do and damned if I don't. He's going to prison no matter what.
3: Johnny decided to save himself. He went back to the woods, dug up the camera, and turned it over.
2: Leading the Justice Department making it clear that in the Amish community, a man's hair and beard are sacred. And any effort to forcibly shave or cut that hair in their eyes is elevated to the
0: level of a hate crime.
3: Fifteen men and women from the Burgholz community were convicted and sentenced to up to seven years in prison. But the most severe sentence was doled out to Sam Mullett. Sam was sentenced to 15 years and carted off to a federal prison in Texarkana, Texas. On a humid fall afternoon, two shirtless guys are on the roof of Johnny's new house. It's about two hours from
2: Bergholz. The
3: guys are yelling to each other in Pennsylvania Dutch, or as Johnny calls it, Amish. Remind me of their names?
2: Aiden, and then my brother Vern, who's up on the scaffold.
3: Almost all of Johnny's brothers have left Bergholz. Cousin Aiden left just two months ago. And now, they're rebuilding their lives. Johnny lives here with his girlfriend, Clara. She also left her Amish community. The three of us climb into Johnny's truck. We make the two-hour drive to Bergholes.
2: We're out. Where it's uh, very rolling. and there's, uh, We pull off nice the highway and drive through a small
3: town, across a shallow river and up winding hills.
2: Even just driving around, just driving on the roads, you know, there's there's a lot of good memories of... Basically driving up and down the road with our horses, you know, racing our horses on the road and a lot of stuff like that. You know, we used to have an ab- absolute blast.
3: The road gets narrower as we pull into town. The pavement is etched with tracks of thin buggy wheels.
2: Oh, I'm going to stretch my legs just a little bit. Just to
3: we step out of the truck onto the side of a road in burgholes. holes.
2: They got all those stickers on the trees. Oh, that's my cousin Eli. Well, he's not even going to wave at me. So what just happened? Uh, My cousin Eli just went by in his horse and buggy and I waved and he kind of gave me a dirty look and kept going, so Uh, take that as uh, not a welcome.
3: We get back into the car and drive towards Sam's house.
2: Working horses, that's actually it. We pass wooden barns, the bulk there, food there. store,
3: a rusted over cement mixer that the people be of Bergholes refashioned back into sort of an incinerator where they burn garbage. City trash collection doesn't come out here. We pull up to a sprawling white farmhouse.
2: Sam's house is uh, here on the right.
3: Is that where you guys
1: that's, used to
2: live? That's up where there? we used to live up there, yeah. Oh my god.
3: Women peek out from behind the window shades, watching us.
2: We'll just sneak on out again. (laughs)
3: Only the kids (laughs) wave and uh, smile back. We keep driving, past white houses with green roofing, laundry lines with white socks and sheets drying Uh, under the the sun. I asked Johnny if he was ever scared riding his buggy on these roads.
2: On a main road like this, yeah, it's scary for me. I mean...
3: Wouldn't you say, though, that it's more scary now that you're actually not Amish anymore and you see how dangerous it is? Like, when you're Amish, you don't really think about it that much because it's just the way you've always done it. You don't really think about it being scary because you just drive a horse and buggy. And Clara's dad gave her a buggy ride a couple like, of weeks ago, and she was terrified. And the buggy just seemed so weak, like, like it could just fall apart or... Like he was just going down the road, and it just, I don't know, I was scared. I was like, oh my gosh, I, c- I couldn't even do this anymore. Clara can't imagine putting her kids in a buggy these days. It just seems so dangerous. It's crazy the point of view that you get after not being Amish, how much it changes, and how much you change. Johnny's changed so much since he left Bergholz. When he was 23, he went back to school for his GED and graduated in just six months, which is remarkable because he tested in with a third grade reading level. He has very cute little daughters and a partner who asks him tough questions, throws parties, and buys him mini cupcakes from Walmart every Valentine's Day. Normally I'll just get him a whole big box and he'll eat it all in one night like just for val- <laughs> I'll get it for him or I'll get it for But things are the same in Burgholes. Even though Sam is in prison, Johnny says he's still in charge from behind bars. He has a new loyal men he's appointed as his liaisons. And apparently, Sam asked for another mass confessional. This time, he demanded people send their list to him in prison. Mail their sins to Sam in prison?
2: Everybody in the whole community had to wow. do it again. again. Again, everybody. And
3: Sam is still in prison, though.
2: Sam is still in prison.
3: But he's still in charge?
2: He's still in charge. He's always been.
3: And last spring, Cousin Aiden said Levi Miller was cooped up again What do you mean cooped up Cooped
2: up. They had him out in a shack in the woods. Whoa. It's back to the same thing.
3: And back in the chicken coop. Levi was doing this weird thing. Like he was trying to send a message to Sam.
2: He's sitting there making these circles. They keep telling him to write his sins down. They bring him a paper and a pen, and he sits there and just makes big circles on his paper. He doesn't he doesn't do it to write anything on the paper. He just sits there and makes circles. I would bet money to what he's doing. He's basically telling Sam, you're just going around in circles and circles. You're basically going around in a circle and you're back to where you were seven years ago. You're going to make a full circle again.
3: Now we're back in the beginning, in this approval trap.
2: Been there, done that, and didn't like it. Approval makes you do stuff you wish you wouldn't have done. Like I said earlier, I always wanted to, to have my grandfather's, you know, approval, so when I finally had it, I ended up doing stuff that I regret.
0: Today, Johnny lives about 70 miles outside Bergholtz in a small Ohio town where he shoes horses. His hair is short. Read more about the Bergholz community in the books Breakaway Amish by Johnny Mast and Sean Smucker and Renegade Amish by Don Craybill. Special thanks to David Lucher and the folks at WYSU in Youngstown, Ohio for letting us use their studio. And last we heard, Levi was no longer cooped up. The original score for that story was by Renzo Goriel. It was produced by Shayna Sheely. Now, it's about that time. But do you know where more Snap Judgment awaits? Wherever you get your podcast, that's where. See, I just met a guy that listened to Snap the entire way from New York City to LA, then turned right back around and made the return trip. Not because he had someplace to be, but because he loved the podcast so much. Snapjudgment.org. Snap was brought to you by the team that never ever cuts their hair. Give it up for Rapunzel himself, the Uber producer, Mark Ristich. Mountain man, Pat Mercedes-Miller. Anna, mountain lady, Sussman. Nancy Lopez shoots pool. Liz Mack shoots baskets. Adiza Egan shoots the messenger. Eliza, too far, Smith. Teo, too tall to cock. Leon Morimoto can't wait. And Zagorio can. Shayna Sheely knows the score. And Jasmine Aguilera has thoughts. Even though this is not the news. No waste this news. In fact, you could be in the back of the trailer divvying up your money only to realize this ain't money. This is a lot of cash is just old newspapers cutting the triangles, even while you hear the motorcycles roaring away in the distance, and you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is W N Y C.